Welcome to another episode of the College 12 Pack. I am your host, Patrick Vaughn, senior editor of the College Wires on the U.S. Today Sports Media Group. With me, as always, my co-host, Tyler Natuno from LSU Tigers Wire. And uh, it's been eventful for you this year. You covered a national championship winning team, women's basketball, Kim Mulkey winning another title. Um, really coming out of nowhere. Uh, we saw how the team did the year before, They and then they win it all. Uh, and now we're going to talk about the College World Series where the LSU Tigers won their seventh national championship, now just second behind USC for the most national championships in baseball all time. But I want to start off with a quick question, Tyler. I know you went to Florida. Now you cover LSU. So was there an inner battle? Was there an inner conflict for you going, okay, the fandom part of me wants Florida to win, but I get to write about a winner if LSU wins. Like, how does that how does that work for you? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, of course. You know, it's the school I grew up rooting for, the the school I went to versus the team I cover. And, you know, obviously want to want to, you know, have a site that drives traffic and, you know, brings people in. And there's nothing better for that than a national title. So, yeah, for sure. It was a it was a difficult internal battle. But luckily, I'm not out on the field and I don't, you know, have any control over what happens. So just got to let it play out. Yeah. And you're talking about a team that really for all year they were really rode the backs of, of Paul Skeens, uh, Dylan Cruz. And I mean, not to say that Trey Morgan didn't do his thing and Tommy Tanks, Tommy White uh, didn't do his thing. I mean, there were plenty of guys, um, you know, surprise performances, even pitching just to get them into the championship game. You know, you talked about, we talked about that last week, but really it just, it was a, a good series. And it was kind of interesting because you get the first game uh, where LSU wins, you know, it's a low scoring affair so to speak, if you look at the last two games. Uh, and then LSU just got blasted in game two. Um, you know, going into game three, it was kind of a toss-up, but I, I don't think anybody saw what was coming for LSU to win so convincingly uh, to, to lock up that national championship and, and get their rings for, for a seventh time in, in school history. Yeah, ultimately, I think, uh, you know, what it boils down to. So so when we recorded this episode last week, it was in the middle of the TCU Florida semifinal game. Florida ultimately wins that game, uh, wins 3-2. It's their third. They went 3-0, and all one all one run wins last week in bracket play. Um, so they go in with a pretty, a pretty stark pitching advantage because LSU ultimately had to burn Paul Skeens on Thursday night. They take Wake Forest to two games, win an all-time uh, pitch college pitching matchup between Paul Skeens and Rhett Lauder. That was 0-0 going to extras. They win it. But, you know, the, the consequences of that is they did burn Paul Skeens. He wasn't available, at least in those first two games. But, you know, really, Florida's pitching advantage was pretty much neutralized by the fact that they just didn't get what they needed out of their starters this weekend. You know, I think they went a combined eight innings. Uh, which just isn't good enough. And it put him in a position where, you know, in spite of that big offensive day, that record setting day in game two, they entered game three, having to turn early to bullpen guys because Jack Caglione had another rough start. They had to turn early to bullpen guys who LSU had largely seen already. And that really came back to bite them in the end. And on the flip side, you know, you really, like you mentioned pitching LSU's bullpen, which had been legitimately like bad down the stretch of the season. Like it had struggled a lot. It just flipped a switch uh, in the tournament and in Omaha, especially not really sure how to explain it, to be honest with you, but those guys just really stepped up. And that's really what I think this tournament's about more than anything. It's about which team gets hot when it matters the most. And that was undoubtedly LSU this weekend. You know, a term that they like to use in sports is these guys were gamers. When the lights are brighter, 
the pressure is on. They stood up, uh, you know, stepped up to the plate, so to speak, stepped up to the bump, uh, and were able to come through. And, and now July 9th through the 11th, we'll wait to see Jack Caglione, Wyatt Lankford, Paul Skeens, Dylan Cruz, so many other guys, where are these guys going to get drafted? And, you know, as we try to follow along with their careers, you know, just Cags actually isn't Cags actually isn't draft eligible, by the way. He has to come back. Oh, he's not. Okay. Yep. So we'll wait and see next year when he's probably how we talk about, you know, this year where we're talking about, you know, Dylan Cruz and Wyatt Lankford, maybe he's a top three guy next year. Um, you know, that's my mistake, but, you know, that's why I got you to kind of back me up there. <laughs> uh, let's move on to segment two. This last week we talked about the SEC. This week I wanted to go my backyard, what I know, the Big 12. We did yours last week. Let's do mine this week. Uh, we're talking about the Big 12 and the storylines coming into this season, the 2023 season. There's plenty. But I think the big one when you really talk about it, and I know you're going to get into the new teams here in a minute, But for me, it's Texas and Oklahoma going into the final year that they're in the Big 12. You know, they had that massive payout. They had to swap some games to get out of their contract a year early so they could go to the SEC. Now, for me, can they win the Big 12 in the last year? Obviously, a lot of people don't want to see that. As a fan, nobody wants to see that. And really, when you look at these two teams, I don't think Oklahoma is in a place right now on paper when you look at them especially with how they performed last year, as a team that can really win the Big 12 this year. I think Texas could. I mean, you look at that offense, they were already a high-powered offense last year. They've just added to it and, and then going into this year. So, like, for me, looking at them, Texas is a team you've got to watch this year. When you talk about Quinn Ewers, uh, you know, they don't have Bijan Robinson, but they've got plenty of running backs. Uh, but you look at the wide receivers, Xavier Worthy's back, A.D. Mitchell. So, really, there are no excuses for the Texas Longhorns to not win the Big 12 this year. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Texas is a team that we're going to talk about quite a bit um, as we proceed with this show. And, you know, Texas and Oklahoma, it, yeah, like all, most of the storylines with the league this year really do – revolve back to Texas and Oklahoma, whether it's those teams directly or the storylines that are coming as a result of the decisions that those teams have made, uh, which kind of brings us to what I want to talk about, which is the new teams we're going to have this year. And we're going to have, you know, one one year where it's kind of a full house before Oklahoma and Texas leave for the SEC. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see just, you know, what the balance of power looks like, at least for this one year, even though things are about to change again. But you know, so you're you're seeing uh, four new teams. You got Houston, UCF, Cincinnati, and BYU, and I think all of them sort of fit into this conference in different places and different niches. And I think, you know, just right off the top, these are two teams we're going to talk about more later again as we proceed. But I think I would say that Houston and UCF are the two that come in. I think best prepared uh, to to be at the power five level, just because I think they're the two that were operating the most at a power five level. You know, before when they were at the group of five level. I think Cincinnati's a team that can also say that to a large degree, but I think they have more questions than those other two teams do because, you know, for a number of reasons, but I think Luke Fickle in his decision to leave for Wisconsin sort of saw the writing on the wall, which is that moving into the power five may not be what's in Cincinnati's best interest. I mean, we saw for West Virginia, the results have been, kind of middling. And I think Cincinnati is going to have some of the same problems that West Virginia had. You know, they're geographically isolated within the conference. Now, maybe that becomes less important now that the conference is more focused on, you know, adding value than having a cohesive G5 
geographic identity. And, you know, UCF will have some of those same problems in being geographically isolated. But unlike Cincinnati, it's in Florida, you know, which is a talent rich hotbed, obviously. And the power programs in that state have kind of been struggling recently. So maybe there's some ground to be gained there. I think Cincinnati is a team that's going to struggle and I think or could potentially struggle. And I think a team that is going to struggle is BYU, just because I think for a number of reasons, it's going to be tough to recruit there. Uh, It's not necessarily kind of school that, you know, you're kind of looking for a specific type of uh, player and person to want to go there. Um, And I think that, you know, we'll see if they can make that jump. They're probably the one of all these teams that was, you know, scheduling the lease like a power five team prior to joining the big 12. So I think they're the team that I'm really like, this could not work out very well, at least in the short term. Yeah. When you talk about Houston run by Dana Holgerson, who is no stranger to the big 12, having spent time at Oklahoma state, Texas tech, West Virginia. And now he's coming, uh, Back into the Big 12 with Houston, and uh, oh yeah, by the way, they got a quarterback from Texas Tech, Donovan Smith, who will be running the show. Uh, they brought some guys from Oklahoma, talking about David Awegu. There's plenty of guys that are going to be on that team that are familiar with the Big 12, so I think they might be poised for for a, uh, a championship run, I should say, but they are going to be battle-tested. All right, so let's, let's talk about the Big 12. Let's get more on the individual side. Uh, I wanted to talk about the offensive MVP picks, much like we did with the SEC. Uh, I think we're both going to be looking down in Austin at the Texas Longhorns because uh, for me, when I look at this, I'm looking at Xavier Worthy and just what he's able to do. You know, he was had a little bit of a drop-off last year when you look at his numbers. You know, he went from 15.8 to 12.7 yards per catch, uh, three less touchdowns, but he was still productive. He had a case of the dropsies, as we saw in the Alamo Bowl against Washington. However, he's talented, and uh, this offense, you know, he's going to be the guy, while they do have plenty of options, kind of who picks up the the slack with B. John Gunn. I think it might be Xavier Worthy, who has as good a shot as anybody of being the MVP of this league, at least on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, I think that's an excellent pick. And, you know, I think he's probably – sort of 1A, 1B with the guy I'm going to pick, which is the guy who's throwing passes to him. I got Quinn Ewers. And, you know, he stepped into a role last season as a redshirt freshman coming in as a transfer from Ohio State, probably with unfair expectations for a redshirt freshman. But, you know, that's what happens when you're a number one overall, you know, type prospect coming out of high school and drawing comparisons to guys like Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence. Um, But, you know, he had an up and down year, but I think he started off really hot. And I think we all saw, you know, we've talked about before on this show, but he looked really good at the start of that Alabama game. And if he stays healthy in that Alabama game, they probably win it. Um, Obviously, he gets hurt, misses about a month of the year, and that kind of throws off, you know, the momentum he was building. Has still some really bright moments down the stretch, has some obviously not great ones. He threw three picks against Oklahoma State. But, you know, I. I think, and like, as we're going to get into, I'm buying Texas this year. Like, I I think they're back. I think this is the year to do it. I think they've got the talent. I think they're far and away the most complete team in this conference. And I think that all starts with Quinn Ewers. And I think that if he, you know, can take the leap that I expect him to, I think he'll be a guy that's in Heisman consideration down the stretch. Now, there is one guy that's going to have something to say about that. Now, that's where we're going to talk about defensive MVPs here, Tyler. Uh, I got Deshaun McCullough, the transfer from Indiana, coming into Oklahoma, kind of be that edge rusher. Uh, Something that they really severely missed, I mean, after losing Nick Benito uh, to the NFL, they had plenty of guys on the defensive side of the ball. But I think Deshaun's a guy who can come in and do that. Had six and a half tackles for loss last year, 
four sacks, three passes defended. So I think, you know, he's a guy who can drop in the coverage. He can get after the, the rusher. I mean, this is a guy who did have 50 tackles in 12 games. So this is a guy who can kind of contribute in all three aspects of playing linebacker, edge rusher. Uh, he's a guy that I really expect to have a big year uh, for the Oklahoma Sooners who desperately need it. Yeah, they do desperately need it, like you said. And he's, you know, I think the kind of guy that this defense desperately needs, you know, an all-around weapon that, you know, Brent Venables is a defensive guy. And at Clemson, his elite defenses had guys like this. I mean, I think maybe Isaiah Simmons is a good comparison here. I, I, you know, I don't know. But I think that, yeah, for you know, this defense needs to take a leap forward. Um, they made some transfer additions and, that we'll talk about more later. But, you know, it, it could all really start with McCullough, and I think he's a, he's a big-time player. My defensive MVP, I'm actually staying in Austin once again. A guy who we really haven't seen a lot of the last two years is Jalen Catalan, a safety transfer from Arkansas, who, when he's on the field, is you know one of the best players in the country. He was a first-team All-American as a redshirt freshman in the COVID season in 2020. Uh, but he's battled injuries since then. He had a shoulder injury uh, six games into 2021, missed the rest of the year, suffered another one last year in the first game of the year against Cincinnati. So he barely played in 2022. So, you know, a lot of questions here surrounding his health. He also, uh, you know, had a torn ACL in high school. So this is a guy that really has had to battle a lot of injuries, but there's no doubt. I mean, when he's on the field, he's a game changing player in the secondary. Uh, So, you know, Obviously, monitoring that shoulder, that'll be something key to watch. But I'm willing to make the same bet that Steve Sarkeesian did and say that if he's healthy, he's going to be a guy that could transform this Texas defense. And let's not uh, forget that he's coming back to his home state, played in Mansfield in the DFW area at Legacy High School, coming back to Texas. So, you know, he wants to show out in his final year of college ball before moving on to the NFL. And hopefully he can do it. And, and we have seen great safeties at the University of Texas in the past, so uh, why not make him the next uh, in that long list? All right, now we're going to go into breakout performance. And, Tyler, I want to start with you. Uh, really looking at guys who, you know, performed well last year, but who's making a name for themselves as we head into the 2023 season? Yeah, a guy, you know, that maybe if you want to argue with me here, you could say he's already been a breakout player is Will Howard, the quarterback from Kansas State. You know, a guy that sort of – He's a veteran. He's been there a while. Uh, perennially has kind of had to step in to replace injured quarterbacks. He did it with Skylar Thompson in 2020. He did it again this past year with Adrian Martinez. Um, and in this case, had to play most of the, you know, the back half of the season or pretty much the entire back half of the season leads them to the big 12 title. And like, I just really like this Kansas state team. I like the way Chris Kleiman's built it. And I think that Will Howard is a really good quarterback and, you know, Texas is a talented team. I think they're not quite at that same level. But with that being said, they did just win the Big 12. And now for the first time in his career, Will Howard is going to have an entire offseason under his belt as the starter, preparing to be the starter rather than being thrown into the role, you know, mid-campaign. So I think you could see him take, you know, an even bigger leap to maybe becoming not just, you know, one of the better quarterbacks in the Big 12, but maybe even the – Yeah, they lose – a star running back. Uh, they're going to get Trey on Ward, but they're going to lean on the quarterback position. Will Howard is a great pick, I think, there. Uh, I'm going to go with my guy, Tyler Shug, who really has dealt with injuries the last two years. But if you go back and look, especially last year, in the five games he started, Texas Tech was 5-0. and We saw the game that he had in the Texas Bowl against Ole Miss, ran for over 100 yards, threw for 240, accounted for three touchdowns in that game. I mean, he's just a guy who can – he seems like he's he's starting to really find his his 
the way he wants to play, how he wants to attack uh, defenses. And really looking at it, I know he had to he had to play back up a little bit, uh, you know, because of injury when he was coming back. And now we'll see how he looks. They've already named him starter. Uh, Joey McGuire has. They're going to roll with him. I think they've got some weapons on offense. So he's a guy that I'm really looking at. Like, can you stay healthy? And can he lead Texas Tech to that next level, uh, as many think is coming this year? Yeah, Shuck's an interesting pick. Because, like, he's played a lot of football over his career and hasn't all been good. But there have been bright spots. You know, like you said, he hasn't really had the opportunity you know, full season starter being healthy. I think it'll be really interesting to see Joey McGuire's done a great job of acquiring talent in a, in a short period of time at Texas Tech. You know, they're already, I think, a contending team in the conference. And yeah, I think this could be maybe the year he finally puts it all together, assuming that, you know, injuries don't continue to bug him. Yep, absolutely. All right, so let's move on. We're going to talk about our biggest question mark coming into the season. And I'm going to start in Morgantown. With the West Virginia wide receivers, really when you look at this team, they lost Sam Jones, Bryce Ford-Wheaton. They've gone on to the NFL. So really who's going to step up? Because you're talking about 13 touchdowns just between those two guys. You're talking about you know, 13, 1,400 yards combined. Uh, there are a lot of questions with this West Virginia. And, and we're going to get more into it as we talk about Neil Brown and some of the things that are going on. Uh, you know, They tried different quarterbacks last year, ultimately going with Garrett Green. You know, they tried the JT Daniels experience. Uh, it didn't work out for him. So, really, when I look at West Virginia, it's the West, the wide receivers are my biggest question. Who steps up? Yeah, a lot of transfers in that group. You know, haven't really seen a West Virginia offense put it together in a while. And for an air raid tree coach, like, that's a big part of what's going on in, in Morgantown. So, yeah, that'll be a big – a big thing to watch. I'm going to look at the other side of the ball for my biggest question. And we're talking, we're going back to Oklahoma talking about Brad Venable's defense. Look, I mean, there's no, there's no sugarcoating it. It was bad last year. Uh, it was real bad. And, you know, it had moments where it was horrifically bad uh, highlighted by the 49, nothing lost to Texas. Uh, but I mean, you know, this is a defense. The numbers I got right here, they went for had gave up 461 yards per game, allowed 30 points per game. I mean, that's just not good enough, especially for a guy whose calling card is the defensive side of the ball. And I mean, their offense wasn't elite last year, but it was good enough to win more than six games. I mean, they were, I mean, they underachieved last year because of what the defense did and they've added more transfers. You talked about McCullough. They've also got Rondell Bothroyd, a really good defensive end from Wake Forest. They got a guy, you know, you're familiar with and Reggie Pearson, a safety from Texas tech. They've upgraded positions on this defense, but I mean, there's a lot of, a lot, a lot of room to improve. So that'll be to me key to watch because I don't think there's a lot of questions relatively about Dylan Gabriel and the offense, but it's not really going to matter if you're giving up 49 points to the best teams in the conference. So they will lose Marvin Mims, obviously, who was a big part of it, but they do have some guys on the offensive side. And you're right. It's the defense where they have the most questions right now. And that's kind of where I'm going to go with, with my who's under pressure this year. And I'm going to go with Brent Venables because obviously his first year, he produces the first losing season since 1998 in, in Norman. They're not used to losing, you know, so that that's puts pressure already. Then you talk about going into the SEC next year, and they've got to show something under Brent Venables. You do not want to go your first year in the SEC, and you've got all these questions about can this coach lead us uh, after Lincoln Riley left and went to USC, and then you saw what had transpired last year 
the defensive numbers. You just talked about them. That for me, Brent Venables is under is the most under pressure head coach um, outside of maybe some others that are on the hot seat, which we'll, we'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, but when I look at this going into 2023, I'm looking at Oklahoma and Brent Venables as the most under pressure head coach in in the Big Twelve. Yeah, you know, a program that's had so much stability, so much consistency over the last couple decades. If they don't get back to where they've been, you know, he's going to find himself, I think, under quite a bit of pressure early on. Um, I'm going with a guy who I don't think is under quite as much pressure, but I still think there's a lot of question marks about. I'm, I'm going Dave Aranda and Baylor. And I really like Dave Aranda, by the way. I think he's a very smart football coach. I, I like the way he's approached the Baylor job. Um, you know, that's a job that when he took it, Matt Rule had kind of already dragged it out of the depths that that followed the scandal. Um, but it still was not in the most stable spot. You know, he goes two and seven year one, the COVID year, which I think we'll talk about this with other coaches, too. I think we can kind of especially when the COVID year is an outlier, we can kind of ignore it. Um, and he follows up the COVID year with a fantastic 12 win season in 2021. They win the Big 12. Uh, but this past season was pretty disappointing. They go six and seven. Blake Shapin, who you know replaced Gary Bohan and the quarterback who led them most of the year in the Big 12 campaign, they stick with Blake Shapin. He has an up and down campaign, kind of struggles. He needs to take a step forward. And I mean, like I said, Dave Aranda is not in danger of being fired. He signed a big extension after the 2021 season, so he'll be around for a while. But I think you know he's a guy that pretty quickly went from being thought of as a great defensive mind to maybe a rising star in the head coaching ranks. I think this year is going to kind of tell us what the temperature is on him moving forward. Yeah, I, and I think you can point directly to the quarterback position. Uh, you know, when you have an up-and-down year at quarterback position, you're likely going to have an up-and-down year record-wise, wins and losses. Uh, obviously, Jerry Bohannon was a very talented guy. They went with Blake Shapin. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how Blake Shapin does this year, uh, you know, leading the Baylor Bears. Can they get back uh, to where they were just two years ago when they were in the Big 12 title game? Uh, that is really where we're going to be watching the Big 12 as far as Baylor is concerned. But we're going to talk about who needs a winning season the most, Tyler. I'm going to start with you here. Uh, who are you looking at as you need to win, have a winning season, um, or, or else we could see changes at the head coach position? It's, it's wild to say because I'm going to talk about a guy who, if you would ask me two years ago, is he still there in 2023? I'd probably say he's taken a better job by now, but he hasn't. And we're talking about Matt Campbell from Iowa State. You know, once seen as a guy that was maybe the top, you know, candidate for jobs like Nebraska opening up, all of a sudden, you know, was in the mix or at least, you know, talked about as being in the mix for jobs like Nebraska and Wisconsin last cycle. But they end up going four and eight. And it was a pretty disappointing year. You know, they're first without Brock Purdy, who probably the best quarterback in program history. And as we saw, you know, that translated to quite a bit of success as Mr. Irrelevant in the NFL. Um, but, you know, their peak under Matt Campbell, they went nine and three in the COVID year, which, like I said, with the Aranda segment, I, you know, I don't know how much you can read into that, especially when you look at what they've done, you know, in all the other years. And the rest of it's been a little bit mediocre. And like I said, you know, quarterback Hunter Deckers replacing Brock Purdy wasn't great. And, you know, now this is a crowded Big 12. It'll clear up a little bit with Oklahoma and Texas leaving, but there's a lot of teams now coming in. And I think Iowa State could just really easily sort of fall back to where it was before the Matt Campbell era, so, sort of, you know, at the bottom of the conference. I, I think they need they really need a winning season. I'm not sure he'll get fired if they don't, but that trajectory I don't like that much right now. 
I can agree with that, all of it. Uh, one thing I will talk about, for me, who needs a winning season? Probably the uh, man under the most heat in Morgantown now that uh, Bob Huggins is gone. Uh, we're talking about Neil Brown, West Virginia. they got to find a way to win. He hasn't had a winning season since the COVID year of 2020. His only winning season since taking over for Dana Holgerson, who left uh, to go to Houston. When you look at just everything that's going on in Morgantown, they need something. And so I'm looking at them. They need a winning season. Because uh, Neil Brown right now, if, if you've been reading on College Sports Wire, he's my number one head coach who's under the most pressure in all of college football. So that's why I'm going to stick with West Virginia. They need a winning season. Uh, otherwise, they're going to be shopping for a new head coach in football, just like they're going to be doing in basketball. Yeah, definitely. Um, definitely agree with everything you just said. Frankly, a little bit surprised that Neil Brown managed to survive the 2022 season, um, especially with the disappointment with the J- uh, JT Daniels experiment. That buyout was pretty insane. Uh, so I think that probably is a major reason why he's still there. Uh, with that being said, yeah, the leash is going to be pretty short this year. They're going to have to improve quite a bit, I think, for him to stick around. I would say he is definitely on the hottest seat in the Power Five right now. If if I had to place a bet, I would probably think that Neil Brown's gone by week four. Um, they got to play Penn State. They have to play that. Pittsburgh. Um, it's going to be tough for them, uh, even to come out two and two in the first four weeks. Uh, so, really, those are that's what I'm watching for. Uh, let's talk about surprise teams and people who know me aren't going to be too surprised when I say Texas Tech is my surprise team going into this year. Coming off an eight and five year, uh, you look at how Joey McGuire has kind of built that team. And, you know, it's it's interesting because he's taken kind of a different approach to some of these other teams as they're building their rosters. Uh, their philosophy is see a stud, offer a stud. They're not waiting around to see who else is offering. If they like what a guy has, they're going after him. I think they're doing a fantastic job, but when I look at this team, just what they were able to accomplish, you know, really in year one under McGuire, and I think it's only going to improve in year two. I mean, you have to remember, they won eight football games with three different starting quarterbacks. So I think that they can get some consistency there to be even better uh, in 2023. Yeah, I really like everything that McGuire is doing. I think, you know, Tech kind of a program maybe that struggled to find an identity a bit in the post-Mike Leach years. But they went into the McGuire search. They knew exactly what they wanted in a head coach, and they got it. He's done a great – he's done exactly what he said he would. He's done a great job. You know, we'll see if they can take that leap on the field, but everything behind the scenes um, seems to be pointing in that direction. So, yeah, no disagreements there. Uh, for my surprise team, I'm going with a team that I'm maybe – there's there's few teams I'm more excited to watch this year than Kansas. Uh, just after what they did last year, huge leap under Lance Leipold. I mean, a, a, a program that it's it's really hard to win at. I mean, there's probably not a harder job in the Power Five than this. And Lance Leipold won six games last year. Might have been more because they they started five and zero before you know had some issues. Jalen Daniels, their their star quarterback, gets banged up. He comes back, but he's never quite the same. If he can stay healthy this year, I'm really excited to see if they can take some sort of, of leap this year. And, I, I, you know, you could look at last year and say that it's, you know, maybe a flash, in, a flash in the pan. And I could understand that. But I think that, you know, Kansas, to me, for the first time it, since I've been paying attention to college football, seems to be actually invested in the sport. You know, they're funneling money into it. They, you know, kept Leipold around, obviously a guy that could have gotten poached by some other bigger programs last offseason. He's staying. They're trying to, you know, renovate the stadium. So for the first time, they're they're spending on not just basketball, you know, as if they're trying to be competitive. So I I think the trajectory trajectory here is good, and I think that they could take a leap. 
Oh, absolutely. And, and you really look at – even look at their backup quarterback, Jason Bain, who does a fantastic job. I mean, they have talent uh, up and down with this team. It's, it's putting it together. Um, but, yeah, they were a surprise team last year, and they could be a, an even bigger surprise uh, going into this year. So that's definitely a great pick. Um, you know, if I didn't go with my guys, I probably would have looked at Kansas as, you know, a surprise team. But let's talk about dark horses. And I'm going to go back to a team we talked about a little bit earlier. Uh, the Houston Cougars are my dark horse this year. I think Donovan Smith, who's a – we saw what he could do in Lubbock uh, at Texas Tech. Um, there was that wild finish where they kicked the 63-yard field goal uh, last year or the year before in 2021 to even get bowl eligible. And we saw what they were able to do once they got into the bowl game uh, against Mike Leach and, and Mississippi State. But really, you just look at a guy who can – he can do – he can throw the ball, he can run the ball, he can do a lot of things. But this is a, a Houston team that's loaded up when you look at the transfer portal and, and everything. And like we said, they kind of been scheduling like we were a Power 5 team. Um, you know, we've seen Houston upset quite a few teams. Um, so they're definitely a team that I'm going to keep my eye on this year, especially with Dana Holgerson coming back to the Big 12. Yeah, I, I, you know, a team that was waiting for this opportunity for a while. It kind of been, you know – preparing itself to eventually make the leap to power five status. And I think they're pretty well prepared for that to happen. And I'm sticking with another new team for my dark horse and going back to UCF. I think Gus Malzahn continues to be pretty vindicated uh, by what's happened at Auburn since he was pushed out. Um, You know, a guy that maybe didn't quite, you know, maybe underachieved a little bit, but was still pretty consistent in his success there. And he's carried that with him to UCF, obviously going to be difficult making the leap from the American to the big 12, but I kind of like the the strategy he went with this offseason. You know, they really shored up that offensive line, added some new transfers. It's headlined by an Alabama guy and Amari Kite. Um, and, you know, they bring back quarterback their quarterback and John Reese Plumley is a really exciting athlete, a weapon, uh, you know, had 11 touchdowns on the ground last year. So, you know, I think they're not as talented as the better teams in the conference, like the Texas's of the world or the Kansas States of the world or, you know, even maybe TCU. We'll see what they look like. But, you know, I think that this is a team that, you know, if, if any of the new teams I think are going to make some noise in the conference this year, I personally think it's going to be the Knights. Yeah, and you look at Javon Baker, Kobe Hudson, you know, guys that we know uh, who transferred into UCF. I think there are a couple guys who can make some noise along with John Reese Plumlee. Uh, UCF's a good pick. I mean, really, if you look at Houston and UCF, those two teams coming in, probably are the two scarier versions or two scarier teams coming in on who can really shake things up in the Big 12. Uh, Obviously, we're going to get into our Big 12 title picks as we try to wrap this show up. Uh, You know, I'm going to start with you, Tyler. Where are you going for your title pick? Um, And are you – do you believe Texas is back? I do. And I've said that already. And like, I, you know, I'll, I'll stand by it. I, I, you're probably not surprised by this. I've been talking about this team the whole episode. I think this is the year, man. Like they're they're They've got the pieces together. Sarkeesian, it's time to take that leap. You know, I think everyone knows he's a pretty good offensive mind and now he's really got the weapons in place. And, you know, I didn't talk about it during the Quinn Ewers section, but you know, if for whatever reason, you know, Quinn struggles or has injury problems again, you've got Arch Manning, the number one quarterback prospect in the 2023 class, you know, sitting there probably going to red shirt, but you know, could play if they need him to this team, you know, weapons like Xavier Worthy, you got to replace Bijan Robinson, but they're still loaded. And if if 
you know, defensive guys can step up, if Catalan can be healthy, this is the most complete team in the Big 12, and I don't think it's even particularly close. Yeah, we haven't even brought up Jay, uh, Jatavion Sanders at tight end. Isaiah Nair, who was gone all last year because he tore his ACL or, you know, uh, in the offseason, you know, those are two more weapons that they got on top of A.D. Mitchell. Uh, you know, Jordan Whittington. I mean, we could go on and on about the offensive weapons. Uh, obviously, you know, the loss of Bijan Hurts. But I find it interesting you went with Texas. And I'm thinking maybe I should go with TCU, you know, the team that went to the co- – no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm going with Kansas State. Will Howard, Trayon Webb. They've got weapons on both sides of the ball. I think they're talented enough. And, honestly, Chris Kleiman is a guy who's won, you know, whether it was at North Dakota State winning national championships at Division II, uh, whether you're talking about what he was able to do really with a team who wasn't really expected to be there. Obviously, they lose the first time against TCU, but they get their revenge in the Big 12 title game. They weren't talented enough to beat an Alabama team that was going out to prove a point in the Sugar Bowl, but I still think they're a team uh, – to be, you know, to really pay attention to. And honestly, I would not be surprised by the time this early December hits, if we don't, or if we aren't talking about Texas versus Kansas State, uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all if those are the two teams that are going to be playing for the Big 12 championship in 2023. Uh, but real quick, let's talk, before we wrap this up, let's talk about the college football playoffs. And I did mention TCU, who went last year. Uh, Tyler, do you see a Big 12 team in the college football playoffs this year? Yeah, I don't think I do. Um, you know, TCU made it last year without winning the Big 12, which is, you know, pretty tough. You know, I don't think that's going to happen in most circumstances. I just think there's too many, too many talented teams. I think, you know, the SEC is going to have, I think, three teams at least that are in that mix in Alabama, Georgia, and LSU. You know, I think Clemson and Florida State could both be in that mix. I think the Big Ten's going to have multiple teams in that mix. I think potentially the Pac-12 could be back in that mix with, um, you know, Oregon, USC, and Washington, and even Utah all looking pretty strong. I think I think if there's a playoff contender in this group, it's Texas. But just when you look at that schedule, you got to go on the road against Alabama, you know, a Big 12 schedule that's going to be tougher than it's been in past years. I just don't know if I see this team having the record to be in playoff contention. Maybe, maybe it's Kansas state. Maybe someone else surprises us, but I just, I don't know. I I don't think that I see a team that's, that's playoff caliber this year. Yeah, it's going to be tough. I mean, obviously they have to go to Waco. They have to go to Alabama. Um, And it's really a toss up when you get to Dallas, you got Oklahoma and Texas last year, obviously was a big blowout. Dylan Gabriel didn't play in that game, but, I'm not sure it would have mattered with the way that that offense was was operating uh, in that game. But let's when we get talking about college football playoff, I'm like you, I'm a no. Uh, however, if Texas runs the table, then obviously I don't think that they're going to be able to keep them out, um, especially if they have victories over in Alabama on their schedule or on their resume. It's going to be really tough, especially if they run the table, win the Big 12, because uh, how often do you get an undefeated, conference champion not in the uh, college football playoff. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, uh, if, but if they run that table, oh, sorry, if they run that table, they deserve to be in. Like, that's a tough no. that's a tough schedule, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I agree with you. Uh, that's going to do it for this week's edition of the College 12-Pack. Make sure you tune in next week. We'll be wrapping up uh, talking about another conference, and uh, we'll see you next week. Yeah.